Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. So my guest today is none other than Joel Lambert. He's an ex-Navy SEAL. He did uh, 10 years duty in the uh, SEAL teams, uh, touring Kosovo and Afghanistan. He was a BUDS instructor. He's also been a TV star. Uh, according to his IMDB uh, profile, which he did himself, which I was very impressed with, Mr. Lambert, he grew up performing on stage and doing commercials before selling all he had to do, sorry, before selling all he had to join the armed forces. Uh, he returned home a decorated veteran and served as the lead instructor at BUDS. Uh, and then this, he went from BUDS school to the screening and selection school for men to join Navy SEALs. Ha ha, there's the joke there. And he was drawn back into the world of film and TV. He's been an actor in Patriot's Day, American Sniper, Days of Our Life, which makes, I guess, which makes you a heartbreaker and a life taker. Am, am I correct there, Joel? <laughs> All right. Uh, Mad Men. I like that. Let me write that down. Yeah, I knew you would, yeah. <laughs> The Storm, Hancock, Hot in Cleveland, Call of Duty Ghosts, in which he was uh, part of the motion capture team, along with another good buddy of mine, Mike Ritland. Uh, of course, he did this TV program called Manhunt and Lone Target as well, and uh, Predators Up Close, Oscar Mike, and he's also Stinger Mo- Missile Qualified, and he plays the electric bass guitar too. Is there anything you can't do, Mr. Lambert? <laughs> well, I guess I don't do any of those well, but I try a lot of different things. Yeah, exactly. Good work. <laughs> nice work. So, um, the way we start the podcast off is I uh, dedicate this uh, pop quiz hotshot round to Speed, which I think is the greatest cop movie of all time because Keanu Reeves in it, he's John Wick, he's also in Bill and Ted, and he's Neo as well, so you can't get any cooler than that. So, here is your pop quiz hotshot. You ready for this? Question number one. Okay. You right have away. any lead in any musical... Your choice. What musical is it, and which part are you going to play? In any musical? In any musical. You're an actor. Yep. That's a weird question. I did not see this one coming. Oh, no. Uh, no, no. So, yeah. points to you for that. Uh, for any musical? I'd have to be Les Miserables, and it would have to be um, Jean Valjean, man. Beautiful. Good work. Uh, the best military movie of all time is what? And you can't include any of your own in this either. Oh, man. Uh, uh, Patton, Platoon. Nice. Um, full Metal Jacket, nice. Um, um, uh, Apocalypse Now, right. uh, um, I mean, you just go on and on and on, uh, 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 The Longest Day, nice. I mean, there's just so much great stuff out yeah, there. Yeah, there's some good classics there. What's the last book, yeah. what's the last book that you read? Uh, I read a lot of science fiction, so I'm always ripping through all this, like, pulp science fiction, um, so I don't even remember the books. I just shred right through them. That's all good. Uh, what's one skill that everybody should possess? Literacy. Beautiful. <laughs> I love it. No, that's good. And they're dead right as well. Yep. You can't assemble the missile if you can't read the instructions. Uh, who, right. who plays Who plays Joel Lambert in the movie Joel Lambert? <laughs> Joel Lambert? No, it can't be Joel Lambert. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I... Uh, Jerry Butler, Gerard Butler. Oh, class, there's a man of action. Good work. What's the first thing you think of, apart from sliding down the side of a mountain with an ice pick, when you think... Can I go back? Uh, uh, It'd either be Jerry Butler, but if he's not available, maybe Yahoo Serious. (laughs) Yeah, okay. That'll work, yep. Um, What's the first thing you think of when you think of New Zealand, a bar sliding down a mountaintop with an ice pick? What do I think of it when I think of New Zealand? Yeah. Um... Probably the best ice cream I've ever had in my life. Beautiful, good work. We'll take that. That's a good, good, good vote of confidence. <laughs> hey, Joel, um, <laughs> thank you for coming on the show today. What's your fitness and diet regime look like? Because there seems to be this uh, thing with lots of people, particularly the fanboys, that Navy SEALs never actually get any older than twenty-three, and you guys always do like four or five CrossFit classes a day and everything else. And I saw a re- recent uh, Instagram post by you saying, actually, I'm quite comfortable on my couch these days. I actually quite like it. So what's your current fitness regime look like? My current fitness, okay, we got to go back a little bit because fitness is something that I'm very into. And, I, and it's a different kind of thing. I'm not like into fitness, yep. like, uh, you know, posting shirtless selfies and stuff on Instagram and things mm-hmm. like that. But I've always just been my body and my athleticism and what I can do with it has always been so much a part of my identity. So from... You know, when I was in high school and, and college, just lifting weights and bodybuilding, um, like all of us did, and drinking protein shakes, to then preparing for buds for the steel selection process, which yeah, I went monk for like a year, and, and I moved into a small little uh, cracker box apartment, and all I did is I worked at UPS loading trucks in the morning, and all 
I did was train. And so I, I followed what was called the BUDS warning order, which is what they used to put out yeah. for students or people that wanted to, to attempt BUDS. And um, it had several different levels. So for over the course of like five months, you would work up to the top level. And the top level had you, uh, I think, four days a week running three miles in boots, um, four days a week also doing uh, a, a one-mile ocean swim or a one-mile pool swim with fins, and then three or four days a week you would do a workout that would consist of i think 200 pull-ups 400 push-ups 400 sit-ups um and a bunch of other calisthenics type type workout uh, exercises and it was so intense and i got in such incredible shape and it also was debilitating you know it did take so much you just didn't have time to recover yeah. and then of course I go into the SEAL teams and and um, fitness there is a huge thing but it's kind of balanced because you're on one hand when you're at garrison when you're at the team and you're not you're not traveling you're doing these brutal workouts for two hours every morning with your team you're doing two mile ocean swim you're doing a you know a, a, a run obstacle course swim run back to the base or you're doing a, um, a, 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 a circle PT on the grinder we're just doing like two hours worth of calisthenics so we do these brutal brutal workouts and uh but then you go out into the field and you do your training and you wouldn't work out you'd just be doing kick in the nuts kind of things you know for eight ten twelve twenty days straight um and so it was this weird balance on, on one hand of getting into incredible shape and then going out in the field and doing brutal things but not really working out um <clears throat> then fast forward and, and i'm a buds instructor for my last couple of years and, and now my job is to really just work out and train these students and so um you're doing the kinds of workouts that we do uh, a lot of crossfit a lot of um ruck runs through the soft sand a lot of soft mm-hmm. sand running a lot of sprints up sand berms um a lot of pull-ups dips push-ups <clears throat> sand type calisthenic workouts lots of long swims and then you know, i get out of the navy and then i'm i'm doing a lot of crossfit i'm doing a lot of olympic lifting uh i'm doing manhunt i'm doing these tv shows and uh, you know, I, I go do. But you can see the first season of Manhunt. I just get progressively skinnier and skinnier because yeah. you know, I'm, I'm doing these four or five day escape and evasions, and you know, it's just it's just destroying my body. So then, <clears throat> finish the first season of Manhunt, and then uh, I start training with an Olympic lifting coach, and I just lift and lift and lift and lift because I had to get strong because yeah. Manhunt was killing me, and I had to be really strong to survive the second season. So did the second season i got out and uh finished that and i got a motorcycle accident so that's why i'm no longer doing the show my yeah. foot was destroyed took a year to recover from that and then um i started training back again so i'm doing a lot of lifting i do a lot of jujitsu i do a lot of um uh just everything that i can do you know but it's not about you know aesthetics as much as it is about um it's just it's warrior shit you know yep, it's mindset yep. it's it's um it's it's just it's lifestyle you know what i mean yeah i not, do yeah i get you um you know, i go to the gym and i train it you get it yeah you get it because you're, you're a cop it's the yeah, same yeah. sort of mindset and you because you, you have to it's it's not just for scoring chicks it's about the the existence that you have it's yeah. about who you are you can't be who you are without that tool you know and yeah. it's got to be in the best shape because it might be life or death yeah, exactly right. and it's also good for your mental health as well yes exactly yeah. and, and that's another thing that people neglect the mental strength depending on how you train you train that right along with your physical strength you know the I tell you doing a two mile ocean swim in 32 degree fahrenheit water i mean that's cold that's freezing um zero degrees celsius doing a two mile ocean swim in zero degree celsius water is as much probably more mental than it is physical and so you train that mindset you train you know what you think you can do and what you're willing to do and your comfort in discomfort as much as you're training your body yeah and now if we turn the clock back a little bit from what i've read and what i've heard and you uh video interviews and everything else joel lambert as a teenager definitely was not a motivated individual he was a bit of a rebel is that correct oh yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. i had this <laughs> i had 
the school record for suspensions my junior year. Legion. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing, but anyway, yeah. And then you came from one of the 10, uh, what was voted one of the 10 worst places to live in in Washington. And then one day, yeah. One, one, yeah, one of your dad's friends comes in and he starts talking about the Navy whales and about being bound and thrown into a pool and not being able to swim. And there's a little light bulb go off in your brain. And that, that light bulb that went off in your brain, was it purely that or was it um, like, I'm guessing we're about the same age. Over here in New Zealand particularly, we found out about this guy called Commander Richard Marchenko. We started reading his books and the oh, beloved, yeah. yeah, the National Geographic yeah. magazine that came out with the specs of the Navy SEAL when they, the SEALs were just beginning yeah. to sort of come out into the media. Was that yeah. all of the above for you? I had no idea. I had no clue whatsoever. And nobody knew about the SEAL teams yeah. then. It was, it, was, it was just nobody knew. And so um, he came over and was talking about this program and all that stuck in my head was this dude was tied up and they threw him in the deep end of the pool and I'm thinking what the hell is that all about that just blew my little synapse I mean I, my brain just blew and so every time I get in the pool and I was a total pool kid every time I got in the pool for the rest of my life no kidding from that point on I thought about dude what would it be like to be tied up right now in yeah. the water and it just it stuck in my craw you know yeah so then fast forward another 12 10 years ahead and i'm 21 22 20 you know right in that age yeah. and i'm starting to have these these motivations something something is pushing me to do something and and now i kind of know what it is it was this whole young you know archetype kind of your hero's journey stuff but at the time i didn't know i just knew i had to do something and i thought what am i going to do and then it just kept coming back to that because that was the thing that scared me the most. Yeah. And so I did some research, found out what it was about. And, you know, I'd, I'd known Marcinko's books had come out and, um, you know, all that stuff. And so there was information out there. So I started reading all the books I could on the SEAL teams in Vietnam and all of that and decided, you know, this is what I'm going to do because I'm not sure I can do it. So I have to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Now, you sold everything to go and join the armed forces. Is that right? I did. I did. Well, I didn't have much to begin with. I had a whole lot of debt. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I got I got rid of everything. I sold my Harley. That's the only thing I had. Uh-oh. Sold my Harley. Uh, you know, got rid of you know everything. Put put the rest of it in my mom's storage. Yeah. And like I say, moved into that little cracker box uh, apartment and just trained, trained and trained. Yeah. And then for about a year, and then I shipped off in the Navy, and that was it. Now, Bud's, Bud School, in particular Hell Week, right? Um, I've spoken to uh, Remy Adelecki, who said anybody who tells you that they enjoyed yeah. uh, Hell Week is telling you a lie. It sucked from beginning to end. Uh, and then you get guys like you, you get guys like Jocko, who just sort of like, yeah, it's no issue, just get it done. Um, what was what was Hell Week like for Joel Lambert? You know, Hell Week. This this is like. I don't even know how to answer this question because there's just no way to comprehend Hell Week or even Buds without experiencing it. It is it is a whole bunch of I can tell you things and they're all going to be contradictions. They're all going to be paradoxes because there's just no way to understand what you put yourself through voluntarily unless you do it. The mental stress, the physical stress, your body breaks it is a transcendent experience but yeah. not in a good way it is like if you take this onion and, and hell we can and all of buds and everything is like if you are an onion and they're taking a scalpel and they're cutting each layer off and you're getting the layers peeled of your skin peeled you're like you're being flayed yeah and each layer is getting peeled off and peeled off and and some guys you find a rotten spot and they're gone you know and the other guys keep going deeper and other guys keep going deeper and then you get to you know hell week is is, is one of the kind of crux moments and 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 uh, huge fulcrum moments and buds would get to the very core and you stare into that abyss and the abyss stares back and then you come back out of it and you're, you're the, the peelings go back on they're forever changed but you go to the very core of your soul and you stare into it with no veils and it is a there's nothing like it and i know that doesn't really i mean everyone wants to know oh, all the swimming and the running and your legs were breaking and all that yeah all of that but that is all garbage blowing in the wind compared to what it really is and that is what it is it is a mental journey into the center of yourself and you are forever changed if you make it through yeah i used to work with a guy who'd rowed across the atlantic ocean twice uh him and another guy two hours on two hours off 
And when I said to him, what's it like? He said, it's like somebody takes your soul, breaks you in half, and then rebuilds you up again and says, do this. And he said, and never again do you go, no, I can't. You just go, yeah, I'll get it done. No problem. You then deploy over the, the next eight years all around the world. You're in Kosovo, Afghanistan, just to name a few places. And I know that some of the stuff that you've done is still classified. But can you tell us about what we would say in New Zealand? What's your hairiest situation that you've been in? Well, I mean, there, there were a lot of... I mean, I loved Afghanistan. It was it was an incredible time. I was there in the very early days um, of the war, and I really liked the Afghan people. It was a it was a I, I've always been drawn to you know um, like when I was doing Manna, you know the jungle where everything's easy and there's water and there's food and all that. I hate it, and and the desolate places and the high desert where there's nothing there, and that's just. I don't know, something about that is just such a challenge to our humanity. And that's what Afghanistan is like. And so here's these people that are living in this area and they've made a life here and they're just so hard and so tough um, that uh, uh, it was very admirable. I really liked the whole Afghan culture. Um mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, I'm not going to talk about any actual... No, you don't hit there. That we did. Uh, but, uh, but it was a great time. I would love to go back. Um, met some awesome people. Met some nasty ones. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, but it was a very... I found it similar to Africa. When I go to Africa, a lot of places in Africa, you feel all of a sudden that you're part of uh, the circle of life to quote a Disney movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden you feel like you're in the food chain whether it's humans or whether it's lions you're like okay I can get messed up here in a heartbeat I gotta have my head on the swivel I gotta be on offense and defense you can't just sit back and stroll down the street looking at your cell phone eating an ice cream cone you're gonna die so Africa all of a sudden you're part of the, the fabric of everything and it's and it's not personal it's just there to fuck you up yeah and yeah, yeah. so it's the same kind of thing in Afghanistan. It's like, you know, here you are. There's all these people. There's really no wildlife there. If there's an animal there, somebody owns it or someone's eating it. But, you know, it's just the the, the, the landscape will kill you. The people will kill you. You just kind of have to – it sharpens you. Mm. And I that turns me on, you know? Yeah. I, I like that. I yeah. Like, uh, like that switch. You you probably you feel that too. Oh, you know? uh, yeah. You know I hear you. Like. Yeah. Yeah. That heightened awareness thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and yeah. there's certain places in the world where you have to be like that all the time yeah. or you're done. Philadelphia when I visited, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, <laughs> all right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I uh, love, love that city. Right, the last two years of your SEAL career, you were a BUDS instructor. What were yeah. the three biggest things that you discovered about people while you were an instructor? You know, I don't know that I discovered anything um, as much as... I saw things. You see the rawness of our humanity um, kind of exposed, you know, and some of that's bad. Yeah. And some of it's just like the most brilliant, most honorable, most, it just, it makes you, it humbles you and it shocks you and it just, it makes you fall down to your knees and just kind of bask in the glory of what we can be. And that you would see all the time. Um, you know, I, there were a couple guys. In fact, let me tell one story real quick, a short one. Um, if you've seen American Sniper, one of the characters in American Sniper, a guy named Ryan Job, they called him Biggles in the movie. That yeah. was his nickname. Um, but Ryan Job yeah. was one of my students that I put through training. And when Job showed up, so I worked in second phase, which is dive phase. So when you go through Bud, you go to uh, first phase, which is, is kind of hell week and the physical training and remediation and you're just kind of just kicking dudes in the nuts to see who sticks then you go to second phase and you're like okay most of these guys um, aren't going to quit now we got rid of all the quitters now we're still going to get rid of a lot of guys for performance issues but everyone here is is motivated and ready to learn some stuff in second phase so we teach them diving we teach them open start diving and they go through a very difficult um, week uh, called pool week and if they make it through that which is kind of the hell week of second phase mm-hmm. then they learn closed circuit diving pure oxygen drager rebreathers all that then they go into third phase which is land warfare weapons demolition all that kind of stuff and so um as you move through these phases i worked in second phase but during first phase during hell week they would 
draw instructors from all the other phases to work because we needed around the clock instructors because it's you know it's hell week it's 24 hours a day so i worked ryan job's hell week and i remember him and i remember this fat little kid who seemed slow slow mentally and i found out later he was not but he just he seemed very dopey one of those people that seems dopey um and then you underestimate him and mm -hmm. then uh, over the course of, a, of of knowing him for several weeks little smart ass comments start coming up and you're like oh you were a lot smarter than you're letting on that was him so he uh is and he's he's fat he had boobs and he had this this belly and i was personally offended <laughs> what are you doing here do you know where you're at what you are participating in do you know where you are and um so I made it my mission. I'm going to get rid of this guy. And so I would just hammer him during, during hell week. And every time I'd hammer him, he wouldn't even have his expression wouldn't even change. He'd be like, who yeah, instructor Larry. And he would just plug right through, plug right through. And pretty soon, you know, I started smiling and he started smiling and I'm beating the crap out of him. But over the course of, of, of hell week, he won me over because his mind was strong and he was right there with his brothers and he was not letting down and the, I tell you the guy you want is not the dude who's running in the front of the pack you want the guy in the back of the pack who finishes no matter what who's in so much pain and when he gets punished for finishing last he just sits there and goes I'm not going anywhere do your worst that nice. is the guy you want in combat Yeah, not the guy who, yeah. who it's easy for so fast forward Ryan Job he's in he's in um, uh, um, second phase he's in my class my, my, one of my students and so I'm putting him through training you know he's he's, 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 he's in training he's in the second phase and he's he's pushing through and all of a sudden I'm a big Job fan um, and he's doing really well uh, but more than that it's his mindset and his, his devotion to his class and to his brothers that we saw um this uh, uh, come through him and that's those are the kind of things and then he you know he went on and deployed um, and, uh, and ended up getting killed um but those are the kind of moments you see guys like that and you see dudes that you think are not um, are not what you expect uh, or don't have the outward appearance um, of of a hero, you know, yeah. uh, of what you want a skill to be. And but that is the guy that will be right there and will never leave your side and will take rounds in him. And it's, it's just those are the kind of things you would see. And those are the kind of guys you'd see. I, I've got a couple other stories about um kids who that would make 99.9% 999% of the population of the world turn and run um, they'll stand there with their brothers uh, not caring if they die or not because something bigger than that is driving them and you would see that in training because to make it through buds you quite literally have to say to yourself I would rather die than fail yeah. because there will be times that you will feel and there are things that you will do. It's not just, you know, it kind of feels like I'm dying. No, there will be times you will think you're going to drown. There will be times when, you know, your your both your legs are broken and you still have to run. And these are the kind of things that you have to make that decision for. And seeing that is for me, Seeing those moments is what all of life is about. I yeah. mean, all the rest of life, I don't really, whatever, those are details. But those moments of humanity that are transcendent like that, that is everything to me. That's pretty special. That's pretty special. Um, what are your thoughts on women being um, team members, Joel? Do you subscribe oh, to the... you're going to screw me over, dude. No, no, I'm not going to screw you over. Because... <laughs> Because I've, I've asked this question before, and lots of people, myself included, uh, say, hey, look, if you guys pass the test and meet the standard, then you're good to go. What do you think? I don't think so. Okay, here's here's what I'm going to say on that. Yeah. Let me just say first that women are some of the most ferocious, vicious, um, cutthroat operators there are in existence. There are units around the world, and there are women who do certain things for certain governments who I never want to cross. Ever, yeah. ever, ever. I'd much rather take on a SEAL platoon than one of these women. Yeah. And I'm not exaggerating. No, no, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and so there, it's not a matter of, of, of that they cannot do that job. Um, but they're to, in order to mix women in with men in a, a combat 
situation at a high level, such as the SEAL teams or the SAS or something like that, in the stack, like stacking on the door, yeah. about to take down the house. That is a mistake. Um, because, well, why? let me just throw this out there. Why are there no uh, women playing on a professional football or rugby team? Yeah. Let me say there, there are women that could... Or, or look at the, the Olympic records in in uh, anything, any athletic uh, event. Women are always women are not as strong, not as fast, not as it's just it's just a matter of biology. Mm-hmm. And so, when you're talking about the highest level of something, whether it's professional football, the NFL, or, or you know, rugby, you're, whatever it happens to be, at the highest level, when you're picking the greatest of the greatest in order to make your national team or or you know, your tier one unit. Mm-hmm. They're the best of the best men. The best of the best women can't touch. Yeah, this is what I'm I'm getting at. Yep, no, that's so, all right. And you see, the, we have, and we've had a big stink over here um, with women's soccer. I don't know the women's soccer won our U.S. women mm-hmm. won the World Cup, and they're freaking out, going mad about how they want to get paid equal uh, to men. Um, and there's there's a whole mess of, uh, of distraction and um, misrepresentation about that whole thing. But I'll just say that that women's soccer team that won the World Cup played a scrimmage game against some uh, under 15, the under 15 team at a Texas um, prep academy and they yeah. lost yeah. 2-0 to zero to the you know, 14-year-old boys. So I'm not saying that I don't want this to come across like, you know, is, is chauvinistic or misogynistic. Oh, I hear what you're saying. It's a matter good. of when, yeah, when I, I mean, I'm, I'm skydiving into the ocean at night and I'm, I'm a 200 pound man and I've got, you know, a, a 140 pounds worth of gear on top of me and I'm going to swim two miles in someplace and then I'm going to hump another, you know, several kilometers through the night. And then when I get there, you know, we've got to hit a how, I mean, it's just, it's just no possible way but there are places for women to be just as operational just as bleeding edge just as black ops as you want them to be but don't try to make women men no all right fine i haven't got got any issues with that so that's all good i just thought i'd ask right let's get us out of a hole here and so how hard was the transition for you for for you from the teams to civvy street because lots of people really really struggle with that transition once they leave the forces whether they're regular force spec ops anything else and i know that you do lots and lots of work with um veterans organizations and i saw uh, a video clip of you talking to uh, I think it was the Hollywood Guild or something about hiring veterans and doing stuff with veterans. How hard was it for you when you left? I had a, you know, I had a, a pretty good transition, but that's because I was a buds instructor. So I, I went from you know Afghanistan operational, you know, 140 miles an hour, uh, and I had my time as a buds instructor, which felt like an off ramp. It felt like I was speeding along the autobahn. I got off on the off ramp. I decelerated down, and then you know what? I was driving on the surface streets and I was cool. But there are a lot of dudes, if you don't have some sort of off-ramp like that, uh, um, there are a lot of guys who are having a lot of trouble with it. Um, and not just special operations people, but just military people. I mean, we've been in this protracted war for so long and there are dudes that that you know grew up with this and then graduated from high school and enlisted in the military and then fought in the same war they grew up with and now... It's, it's, it's part of the fabric, and I think, well, one, I think that needs to change, and two, um, I think that guys need to have a transition, and then more than that, we as a society need to, and we're, 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 we're getting aware of this, so this is changing, we need to, um, I don't want to get too hokey here, but they need to ritually needs to be some sort of acknowledgement you look at any indigenous culture when they had you know the, the warriors and they send the war fighters out to do whatever they're doing when they came back in there was always some sort of ritual cleansing or ritual mm-hmm. um, um, something before they were brought back into the tribe and even if it's just an acknowledgement of we see you we acknowledge what you've done for us um, you know drop that off and transition back in just that right there um 
means so much. Yeah. And I've got people working on, on uh, friends of mine that I'm on the board for some charities and stuff that are doing precisely that. You know, they have these these retreats and stuff where they want to bring people in and just give them time with their families to cleanse, you know, yeah. before they step back into a different role. Yeah, no, and there's nothing wrong with it either. Um, there, I mean, there's that train of thought that says, you know, the guys that were involved, the greatest generation that were involved, they had that three or four month yeah. trip back home. Um, and whereas you guys, obviously, yeah. you're in Afghanistan, and then 20 hours, hours later, you can be back on mainland USA. So, yeah, I'm with you. Um, then along comes Manhunt. And when they pitched the, the then the, when they pitched the idea, what did you honestly think when they said, "Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna, basically, we'll pop, pop you into this position here, and we'll give you a couple of days, and you have to try and escape." Were you thinking seriously, is this TV or what? <laughs> okay, check this out. So I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm in, in LA. I'm living up here, and a friend of a friend reached out to me and said, "Hey, I've got this friend who's putting together this television show." And I think, okay, sure. Everyone, everyone has a TV show. Everyone has a script up here. Everyone's yeah. you know, got the next big thing. Um, so I didn't take it very seriously. But he said he's looking for former special operate uh, for for a former special operations person who has a strong background in, in tracking and escape and evasion, which I had, mm-hmm. and. Um, obviously. And so I said, well, uh, okay, I'll send him my stuff because he was a friend, a friend of a friend, you know? So I, it wasn't something I sought out. And so I sent uh, my resume and a few pictures over to this person and he called me up like the first, that same day. He's like, oh my, this is great. And he starts talking to me and um, he wants to do some interview stuff with me. And uh, so he, I did a little Skype interview with him and I'm kind of just being a smart ass because I don't, <laughs> and, and he asked me, um, will you go, to the desert with me and shoot a sizzle reel. I want to shoot some stuff on you. Um, or he didn't say sizzle reel. He said, I want to shoot some stuff on you in the desert. And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, yeah, I, got other, I got other stuff to do, man. And he said, okay, I'll pay you. I'll give you 300 bucks. Uh, all right, I can go out into the desert. He's going to pay for a hotel room. I can shoot this guy's stuff on his crappy little, you know, handy cam with his buddy so he can make a sizzle reel to try to pitch this stupid show that's never going to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, then I'll go I'll go climbing in a Joshua tree on his dime. And so I said, okay, cool, I'll do that. So here I am driving to uh, the desert, the Palm Desert, and I get out to the hotel that I'm staying, and I pull in the driveway, and instead of this crappy little Super 8, I'm driving down this long driveway with palm trees on either side, these manicured lawns, and I get to this 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 circular driveway in the center of this giant resort. There's Bentleys and there's you know Maseratis and Ferraris parked in this um, this little circle. And I, I check into my hotel and I go to my room and that's this gorgeous room and the phone rings and I pick it up, hello. And this woman says, uh, Mr. Lambert, I know that you're not scheduled to work until tomorrow, but uh, Sarah Davy, he's the vice president of Discovery International, has just flown in from London, and she's wondering if you'll have dinner with her tonight. And at that point, <laughs> the light bulb kind of went on. <laughs> and I thought, wow, maybe this is actually something. You know, maybe I should have prepared for this a little bit. <laughs> oh, well, I like you. It's always the way, isn't it? Yeah. So, so I go out to dinner with Sarah, and, um, and the, the guys who I had who were, were putting this together and they were just they were they were just beside themselves and we're having dinner and I have some whiskey with Sarah and she's this this loud British woman she, she's become a great friend and I love her but at the time I didn't I didn't know who she was you know and so she I know that she's a vice president of Discovery International and you know she could change my life and I'm drinking whiskey and she's asking me all these these questions these loaded questions and I'm thinking am I gonna be nice or am, am I just gonna say fuck it and I, I had another whiskey and I said you know what fuck it and so I just started telling stories <laughs> and I just started telling stories I shouldn't have told and she just ate it up and loved it and so the next day we go out and it turns out that they had they'd flown in an SAS guy from Hereford and another Marine prettiest man I've ever seen in my life um, and, and they were looking at the three of us and uh, you know I hadn't really prepared anything so I made some booby traps out of a cinder block and, and I think a, a phone cord that I found out yeah. <laughs> in this this like crafty building and, and, and they loved it they ate it up and um, then that was that was it and so they so they offered me the show and then I thought well I, do I want to do this you know I'm out of the Navy now and I'm I'm, I'm I'm enjoying my time on the couch and I'm enjoying doing easier things uh, and this show was going to be escape and evasion which is the shittiest worst kind of it's like everything has gone wrong everything lost vacation everyone's dead but you you know you're you're they know where you're at they're chasing you it's like 
the the worst possible situation. And I'm going to be doing this for real, more or less, but for real to the extent that I'm going to be doing it against foreign governments and all of their assets and their their national reputation is on the line. I mean, this is not going to be a fun little exercise. This is going to be as for real as it can be in a TV show. And I thought, this is just going to be so hard. Do I really want to do this? You know, I mean, I, I, I'm done with that. And I thought, you know, the reason I have to do this is because precisely because I, I don't want to. Because the reason I don't want to is because I'm comfortable. And the reason I don't want to is because I'm scared I'm going to lose. The reason I don't want to is I don't want to look like a fool on international television. And I thought, I can never look myself in the mirror again if I say no to this. Yeah. I have to. I have no choice. I have to do this. So when was the moment, because there's got to be a moment where you go, holy shit, not only is this not just about me, it's about the Navy SEALs, it's about the American Navy, and everybody else who's yes. been in the teams before me as well. When was that moment? Yes. When you was it was that on like day one of the filming or when you were doing the prep? That was when I did, when I was deciding to do it. That was part of the thing. I'm like, I'm gonna have a giant trident on my chest. If I lose, if I do something stupid, if I lose, that's gonna be you know Joel Lambert, the Navy SEAL. Yeah, I'm carrying all my brothers with me. So that was part of the thing. It was such a huge. It felt like such a huge burden to bear, as well as it was gonna be such a miserable time. I, uh, <laughs> not wrong either. What did what did some of your teammates think when you told them, or when they when they first saw the show? You know what? It's been it's been pretty. Uh, it's been actually very very good. I let the guys know. I said, "Hey guys, you know, uh, here I am going Hollywood. Just so you know, this is what's going down." And um, and everyone was very supportive of it. And I think it depends. There are a few guys who have gone public who have been blackballed uh, by yeah. the teams. And I think it all has to do with just you know how you go about it because this has never really been about me. No. Um, I've tried to be very humble about it and. Um, not I think there are some guys out there and people out there who will ride on the coattails of other guys yeah. you know like I'm a SEAL and all these accomplishments are mine by proxy Yeah. but I never want to do that it's all about okay here's my, my brotherhood and here are the guys that I'm honored to stand and humbled to stand next to and let me lay it all out there on the line for you. Yeah, exactly right. Now, unlike another TV survival show host who's going to remain nameless, but you and I both know who I'm talking about, um, <laughs> Yeah, you actually stay in the field overnight and you actually do your own survival skills and booby traps. How important was that for, to you for the show's authenticity? Because I know that there's still lots of people, even now, I've got friends of mine who go, no, nah, hang on, I'm calling bullshit on this. There's no way this guy, a cameraman and a sound person are going. And I'm like, well, here, let me show you some stills. And I'll show them some stills. And they're like, holy shit, this guy's actually done this. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was no shit. Yeah. Um, well, first off, let, let, me add a ca- let me put one caveat out there. There were times where I didn't stay out. There were a, ca- a couple occasions um, where... Uh, I would build my shelter. Everything's you know ready to go, and then um, my producer. I would have a cameraman and a producer generally in the field with me. And my producer was a former guy, so he was older, but he really knew his stuff and he could keep up, and he didn't compromise me. My camera guy, oh my god, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there were occasions where I would build my stuff and I'd be ready. I'm be like climbing it like in Mongolia. I'm out there. I'm, I'm climbing in my bivy sack, and it's you know I'm gonna get. Or rest, and then the producer goes, "Okay, uh, we're bringing it in." I'm like, "What?" And he said, "It's going to hit 40 below tonight, and the insurance won't let you stay out. And yeah. They just they won't let you stay." And so then they they pull me in, and I you know go back to the hotel for a couple hours, and then I back out. But every chance I could, there the only times that happened was when um, something very dangerous was going to happen, uh, and the, the insurance they just would not let me stay out there. Yeah. But you're right; there are a lot of hosts that will. <laughs> that, yeah. That, choose not to yes exactly and um, at least uh, at least unlike them you're actually being honest and sort of saying hey look this is what i've done yeah all that stuff was me all the stuff was real everything the hunt was 100 percent real when i inserted it in um you know that hunt went down the way it went down and i either got away or i got caught yeah. and then you know the, the the 24 hours to 56 hours whatever that that course was um 
it, it depended on where I was at and what we were doing. Um, at the end of it, you know, I'd go back to the hotel and I'd sleep at the end of that whole hunt. Um, and then we'd go back out for the next three days, we'd shoot pickup shots. So where I didn't get a chance to explain what I was doing to camera because we were moving too fast or the camera guy's trying to get me to do something, I'm like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, yeah. Down, just stay on my ass. We'd have, to, we'd have to go back and shoot all that stuff when I was too busy focused on escape and evasion to talk to the camera or, or I'd have to rebuild my booby traps and explain what I was doing because a lot of times you'd be like, what are you doing? Like, shut up. And I'm just getting it done and moving on. Yeah. So there's a lot of... There's a lot of footage of me telling the camera died, shut up, shut up, put it down. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and for let's be honest, for a wee while there, being a cameraman on the show was probably the most dangerous job on the entire show, wasn't it? Because you had, I've I've got both set series on this, uh, yeah, and I've seen the bonus material. Yeah, cameraman getting oh, left, right and centre and getting tropical oh, diseases and everything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was your best, I, on a, what the F moment with a cameraman while you're on Manhunt? time you got yeah 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 i know you got hundreds <laughs> but yeah because i mean as far as injuries go well, let's just go to the first episode we shot um we actually had people quitting in the middle of the hunt they had to fly people out from los angeles to take over we had producers um in the field running sound or running cameras while replacement people were flown in because people just fucking quit because it was just too much um for a lot of these people and all these camera and sound guys and, and uh, producers LA oh, we worked Deadliest Catch and we worked blah blah and we worked you know Gold Rush they had no idea what they were getting they had no clue yeah. this is not, not man versus wild this is full on escape and evasion and so um, we had a lot of people quitting and then you know, we had guys get stabbed in the neck by flying fish and lost in the jungle um, going to anaphylactic shock because they got hit by killer bees and one guy's arm got ripped off the rotator cuff got ripped off his, uh, his shoulder and he, he was out for a year another guy got MRSA and staph infections in their leg and my producer my SS producer buddy got sliced through the kneecap all the way to the, like the inner kneecap he had to have, like three layers of stitches yeah I hate to think what your insurance I mean, premiums were stuff was happening Oh my God, every single episode, and some worse than others, but every single one we had some emergency evacuation um, to to medical facilities. And so I was always worried about the guys, the camera guys and the producers and stuff in the field. But what was more frustrating to me were was one particular camera guy um, specifically who got me caught at least twice, um, who just didn't seem to understand the concept of hide and seek. It just seemed to just be right over his head. Um, and for instance, this is in Mongolia. Here's a, a little tidbit. I think I, I put this on Facebook or on uh, Instagram recently, but um, Mongolia, it was it was very windswept and snowy. So in the lower areas, there's a lot of snow, and in the hills, the snow would be blown off of it. So it would be... Um, you know, brown and rocks and trees and, and, and bark and stuff. So I wore my multi-cam, regular multi-cam, and then I had what's called overwhites, which are a, a very thin, like, parachute uh, thin material that's white camouflage. And so you can just carry it in a pocket, and you can just pull the bottoms on or pull the tops on. Oh, and hang on, i I, I got to stop you there because you don't need to describe it to me because when there's nothing on television in New Zealand, my wife goes oh shit we're watching manhunt again aren't we and i'm like yes we are all right so so much in fact that when i told her i had this interview lined up she goes your bromance will be complete then my friend away you go so all right so i know exactly what episode you're talking about so carry on yeah yes all right so so i i do the research and these over whites are they're, they're not they're hard to find it's not mm-hmm. a common thing find a manufacturer and they're like 400 bucks a set 500 bucks a set I don't know I had the production by three sets one for me one for the producer one for the camera guy because sometimes I had a, I, there'd be three of us sometimes it'd just be me and the camera guy um, occasionally it'd be just be me but usually I almost always I had a camera guy there so um, I had these, these sets and so um, I'm, I'm up in the hills and I'm moving real fast and I'm feeling really good and I'm just running circles around these guys I'm like there's no way no way they're going to catch me but then I'm forced down the route that they they had me going on, forced me down. There's no way around it. I had to cross this big, wide open, flat, snowy area. And the night before I inserted for the hunt to start, it snowed half an inch. So it was like fresh. I mean, oh my god! Yeah. I can't 
float, you know? There's no way to not leave trail. At least stay out of this possible. But um, I'm forced to go down there. So we move down through the trees, get to the edge of the trees. And so I pull on my over. My plan is straight across into the trees. It's like 1.2 kilometers or something all the way across this. When I get over there, I'll figure out something. We're going to do a big elaborate deception. And then we're going to go away and we're going to go to ground. And we're, we got to do something real big to throw them off our case. Cause this is going to be, they're going to find this so easy. So, I pull on my overwhites. Um, at least they won't see me moving across. They'll see that they'll come up on the tracks. And then my camera guy's filming it. And I, I put them all on. And he gets all the shots. And I turn around. I'm like, all right, now stop filming and put on yours. I had given them to him the night before. And he has a sheepish look on his face. And this cameraman's already got me twi- caught twice, um, I think. Once for sure I know of in the previous season. And I'm like, oh, dude. Oh, dude. And he's like, you wanted me to bring those? I'm like, that's why I gave them to you last <laughs> night. And, you know, he, this guy, his cameras, he's got all the lens paper. He's got all the batteries. He's got everything. His cameras are just his babies. But he didn't bring the overwhites. So I'm like, shit. Well, there's nothing we can do now. So I'm blasting across this. So here I am in white camouflage. And here's a guy behind me in green and brown. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. Yeah, that'll work. Yep. So I'll let, you, I'll, let you into, I'll let you into another story here, Joel. Okay. I actually caught a guy once because uh, I drove past him and I checked my rearview mirror like I always do since I watched a certain right. episode of Manhunt. Because apparently there was a Navy SEAL on there who said, cops hardly ever look back in their mirrors. They always keep looking forward. I think it was when you were in Mexico. Anyway, so I look back in my mirror and I see this guy and I stop and I pull over and I say, hey, dude, you know, under arrest and everything. I said, like, how did you find me? He said, you've driven past. I said, ah, it's the Joel Lambert clause. There we go. All right. So thank you. Thank you for your service to New Zealand. All right. So, I love it. Yeah, I knew you would. Yeah. So there's a dude in the pokey in New Zealand who hates me. Yeah, well, hey, look, yeah, you can't win them all. <laughs> hey, um, now I've heard this many times from you, and it goes to show how much the show is loved by people around the world, and I know it's still on repeat everywhere as well, but let's get it on record. There's going to be no more Lone Target or Manhunt, is there? There's no more Lone Target or Manhunt. Yeah, yeah. okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, everybody's hearts just break in that little bit there. Oh, so, hey, look. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I hated I hated doing it, and I loved it. Yeah. So part of me is like, I'm, I'm very happy that I never have to do that again. Yeah. But on the other hand, it was so pure. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was so yeah. pure. It, it sucked so bad. And at the same time, it was just it was me with my skill sets and a group of of guys like me in another country and their skill sets. And it was just there there were times where it was just pure and there's that was the most beautiful thing to me and especially in the second season um some of the producers and stuff started going because the first season no one knew um what escape and evasion was and they were just they were hanging on by their fingernails trying to film this as i as i went second season they kind of felt like these camera guys and 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 producers started feeling a little cocky like oh i know this escape and evasion game and so they started wanting to stage things you know like we can do this and and we don't have to spend two weeks here we can do this in you know four days and we'll just you know cobble it all together with all the good parts and i'm like no way there's no i fought and i did and um, i would have continued to do it because the only way i'd want to do this is is in the most miserable pure exacting way where that human just that it's it's it's, it's rocky yeah. you know it's it's really it's 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 those pinnacle moments where we are at our best when everything is laying out there and i loved that so much even when i'd lose even when you know i i i mean i it would kill my mood for weeks when i'd lose yeah. but even when things didn't go right it still was such a pure beautiful thing to me and i loved Love that. Yeah, and the best thing about that is, uh, and without blowing smoke, you know where, but you've actually become an inspiration for a whole bunch of kids that were sort of about the same age as you and I when we first saw uh, Dick, Dick Marchenko, which is awesome. That's that's great. Um, so yeah, I love that. That was favorite. That was my favorite thing when I was doing the show was all the pictures and stuff and the people that reach out to me that their kids were fired yeah. up about the show. Yeah, um, yeah. that was a I know that you've seen me because I've sent you the picture many a time, but I use your slide all the time with your advice, and the kids just go banana. Oh. The kids just go bananas about the fact that I actually even know who you are. And I'm like, when I go, he's almost a buddy. They're like, oh, awesome, yeah. 
Um, so you frequently appear doing stunts and weapons, coordination and yeah. consultancy in movies or acting. Uh, I had to go back and rewind it when I did a Joel Lambert sighting in Patriot's Day. I said to my wife, hey, look, there's Joel. She's like, oh, my God. Um, an, an American sniper, obviously. But what lots of people yeah. don't know is how close did you get to killing Clint Eastwood, Joel? <laughs> oh, this is horrible. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've heard this yeah, story, but do you want to tell us again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm on American Sniper, which was, was just, I got hired on American Sniper just as an actor. You know, nobody knew that I was a SEAL, um, except for Clint once I got hired, and uh, one other SEAL who appeared in the movie who was the technical advisor on the movie. Other than that, nobody knew. I was just a, an actor. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, I booked the part and I, I show up and they actually booked me. This is funny that they booked me as a Delta sniper, which, you know, gray hair and grizzled and bearded and everything. That was exactly what I look like. Yeah. I show up the day we're about to start shooting or for the fitting and they've changed it to a Ranger sniper. And for those of you who don't know, the Ranger battalions are very young guys. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're pretty much, you're, you're done in your twenties being a sniper or being a, a, an operator in the Ranger battalions. So it didn't fit. And so they gave me the goofy haircut and, and they had to make me like a master sergeant or something. So it's already very awkward. Uh, and then we're on the roof and we're shooting this stuff. And, and I didn't talk much about it. I didn't post much or anything about me being in the movie because like we talked about earlier, Ryan Job, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and, and Mark Lee and those guys that put their training and, and Chris Kyle. Yeah. This was there. This was about them, man. And there's no way I could crow about, you know, me being in Clint Eastwood's movie when this was, man, this was about the brothers. Yeah. And, and so I kept it very quiet. But anyway, so so we're shooting this, this part of the scene on the roof and, you know, we're firing and it's the culmination of the movie and it's the climax and um, we're escaping out of this, this, uh, this big firefight on the roof and, uh, you know, there was this, this part where I, w- I was shooting and shooting and shooting and I lift my gun up and I turn and I run past and we're all kind of running running past the, the camera and there's a guy on the steady cam, which is the camera that's kind of mounted on the guy's body, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he's moving around and, and there's smoke everywhere. They've got the smoke machines all going and and, uh, and I lift up my weapon and I look behind me and I see the steady cam guy through the smoke and haze. And so I think I'm going to do something real cool. And I lift my weapon up and I yell something and I run and I run right past the camera. I mean, I just barely graze this guy. I call it a wipe. You know, so it just looks like I'm running right into camera yeah. and I'm sprinting past all 200 and some odd pounds and my weapons and feeling cool. And then out of the mist parts and there's Clint Eastwood standing there about three feet away from me. I'm running full tilt. He's 84 years old at the time. And I just see his eyes pop open. And I know mine do the same thing. And everything slowed down. And I have a, a Neo moment of the Matrix. And I, I no, <laughs> when I do this twisting move where I pirouette and I'm falling backwards and I'm doing everything I can. And I just barely, by probably a millimeter, miss Clint Eastwood. And I'm passing by him and I, I all I can see is the headlines on Variety that you know um, supporting actor kills Clint Eastwood yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm turning backwards and I'm falling backwards and I'm about to eat shit but I don't care because I miss Clint Eastwood yeah, yeah, and I yeah, feel yeah. so good about that and I see Clint standing there in his dockers and his, his polo shirt um, take this belated step sideways he was pretty old at the time yeah. he stepped sideways and you know too late but I fall on my ass and get he- myself up did he say anything anything to you afterwards no, or not? Not a word. Uh, not a word. That's all right. Not a word. That's all right. He's gunning yeah. highway from Heartbreak Ridge, so he's allowed to. That's all good. <laughs> hey, now, I'm um, changing the tack a little bit. Um, Eddie Gallagher's trial that's happened in the States, uh, and I'm going uh, to use the words that we would probably use here, um, was a dreadful affair. Um, yeah, and there's been plenty incidents of combatants, both uh, from lots of allied forces, uh, who have been uh, faced charges from either overzealous politicians or prosecutors. How did you keep your moral compass in combat? Well, to be totally honest, I, I mean, well, I know Eddie. I put Eddie through training. I was one yeah. of his buzz instructors. Mm-hmm. And I was very involved with, um, you know, our groups and uh, some fundraising efforts and things like that. Yeah. Um, I will say the, the groups 
that were involved in prosecuting Eddie uh, unjustly are going to come. It's it's happening. Yeah. Um, people are being relieved of commands. Uh, the president has gotten involved, and uh, and people are going to pay. And yeah. I'm very happy to see that happen. And Eddie's going to have you know all kinds. His wife is amazing. His wife is the one who, oh man, yeah. poor woman. She really, really stood by her man and made all this happen. Mm-hmm. But how did I keep my moral compass? Mm-hmm. To be totally honest, I wasn't concerned about my moral compass in combat. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm concerned about is I'm concerned about my brothers on my left and my right. And I'm not concerned about the flag. I'm not concerned about my family. I'm not concerned about anything but just accomplishing the mission and getting back with your brothers and taking care of them. That's the only thing that you care about. And so I think that the, the moral compass never even, it never was a question, you know? I mean, and you're, you're in a situation, um, all I'm worried about is there's us and there's them. And it's not a matter of, and I think that's a pretty good guide. I mean, it's war. Yeah, yeah. It's, gonna, yep. it's, 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 it's not going to, there's, you're already in a morally ambiguous mm-hmm. at best situation. So to be honest, I didn't waste any time worrying about any of that. You just have to trust yourself and adhere to what you know is not right, but is what you're supposed to do right then, which is defend your brothers and accomplish the mission. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's exactly it. like it's exactly like Sean Connery says in The Untouchables when he talks about, and I say this to our guys as well. The first rule of policing is that you get home safely to your family. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, on that note, I've got a bunch of fan questions for you. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> how tough were the Kiwi guys on Manhunt? Oh, they're fantastic. I mean, the, the when I when they told me about these guys, I'm like, oh shit, yeah. because um, honestly, I mean, the the they're the, you guys the the New Zealand SAS. Um, you guys run well, our guys don't go to it but pretty much everyone else who's good in the world goes to your tracking course yeah, yeah, yeah. goes to your amazing course so one of the guys on that show wrote that course beautiful and so I'm like shit so, so I knew every time I, I do a, a hunt I had to tailor what my approach was going to be to who I was going against uh, because I could never I could never play their game to a degree I would because we had to we had to do something that they were um, accustomed to so like when I, in, I was in South Africa I would play the role of a poacher you know doing the kind of things that they were used to working with but I always had to in order to win or to, in order to, to be competitive I had to think outside of that box so I put myself in their world but then I'd have to think differently and so um, I knew these guys their tracking skills were going to be um some of the best I'd ever gone against. And so I had to use other things instead of trying to play directly against that in anti-tracking and counter-tracking and things like that. I had to just, I had to use some serious trickery, which I did. And I had to um, do some aggro speed, aggressive speed and go in horrible places where they could track me, but there's no way that they're going to, do that they're going to go around and wait for me to come out the other side and i used that against them um so that was my kind of whole strategy is i was going to go in the absolute shittiest places possible that they would not go they would do the smart thing and go around and set up for me coming through the other side because i had to and then i used i used that to set up a a big trick yeah and Um, again the true story with that is when you did your extract the guy that was tracing you chasing you I think you know, I met Matua anyway Matua Parkinson is one yeah. of our Māori All Blacks I'm sitting there with a bunch yes. of people and Matua's chasing you because we all used to get together for Manhunt Mondays and yeah. uh, he's chasing you and obviously you made it to the boat and saluted him and off he took him my mate turns around and he goes bloody Matua Parkinson he's always been shit on the fence so I was like yeah hey like that's a bit rough but yeah that's all good no. so yeah that no, no, was a great show that guy he was he was awesome i I tried to when i got back i I was in uh australia discovery took me to new zealand for a bunch of press there before the um show went and uh we actually went to the the all blacks and wallabies game oh nice there you go that's (laughs) so good yeah 
So here's a quick story. So um, this the the lady who ran uh, before I get back to to, um, to him. Uh, uh, but we were at the hotel. I'm in New Zealand and I'm with all Aussies. So and they they're huge fans of mine and they've been huge supporters of mine in Australia, New Zealand. In fact, it was supposed to be an Australian episode and Australia the government had some red tape issues and so. Uh, they weren't able to do the Australian episode, which is supposed to be the season one or season two first episode. We didn't get to do it. Mm-hmm. So they're, uh, she's a little frustrated that I did a New Zealand episode and not Australia. So now we're going to the to the All Blacks Wallabies game, and um, I get we go to dinner, and then I go back to my hotel room to get ready to go to the game. And uh, they have been in my hotel room, and laid on my bed is a All Blacks jersey and a Wallabies jersey. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> And, and my Australian uh, 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 discovery friends had obviously put them in there and said, uh, and left me some very nice note saying that um, I can choose which one I want to wear to the uh, to the game <laughs> that night. <laughs> and um, I, long story short, I ended up wearing the All Blacks jersey, and she's never forgiven me, and yes. I've not been back to Australia. Um, no, that, that's what good. <laughs> the All Blacks won, so it was all right. But I, I, I couldn't follow a, a moment of what was happening. But it was awesome. But back to him, um, he that actually that run to the boat was um, a pickup shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he can outrun on my my best day and his worst day. He'd smoke me. Um, so uh, he had to actually run slow because that was a pickup shot. Because the the when we would do the actual hunts, yeah, um, wouldn't have the extract set up right then I would either it was generally I would make a certain spot or there'd be a car or something like that to do that and then after the hunt was filmed we would go back and we would film the exciting um, extract yeah Uh, yeah whether I want whether I got caught or whether some of the ones when I got caught were real um but if they they couldn't get all the coverage then we'd have to go refilm that yeah but okay so what's the what's been the toughest part for you mentally while you were a Navy SEAL mentally Mm. uh you know, um, it's it, it, the whole thing is mental. The whole, every bit of it is mental. Yeah. Um, you know, every, everything is mental, and and it's all begins in buds, and it's checked out at buds, and um, that's when that mental game really begins, and you learn uh, everything that. Uh, that you need to in order to survive and, and it never gets it never gets easier it just gets better and so um, you would move into more difficult things but it would be better never easier just better you're no longer a student you're now you know pipe hitting commando with your brothers next to you uh, doing the same things and having the same sort of mental stresses so it never it never gets easier mm-hmm. and you never get used to it. You just get accustomed to not being used to it. Yeah. If that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, no, it does. Definitely does. Yeah. Uh, the next one was what, how many hours have you been without sleep in a mission? What's the longest you've been without sleep for a mission? <laughs> oh, without sleep for a mission. Um, actually I've been not as long as, as hell week. Hell week was the longest that I've been without sleep. And that's, you know, five days, five and a half days. Yeah. Uh, six days without sleep uh, they give you two different sleep periods of like 45 minutes each during that course but I think four or five guys would sleep most of the rest of us just kind of sat there because you know in like 40 in a, in a in a period of time that you're not uh, privy to knowing how long it's going to be they're going to wake you up with machine gun fire I don't know anyone who can really go to sleep yeah 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 exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> knowing that, it, that a belt fed machine gun is going to wake you up at some point so um, I didn't sleep at all so five and a half days so during missions you know two and a half days maybe which yeah. is never anywhere near um, which honestly at that you, you start fading at that um, that point you're not uh, you're not you can't operate no. uh, you can't and there were there were times where they would give us um, you know Ritalin or other Adderall type derivatives and stuff for long missions for like 26 28 hour missions mm-hmm. so that you could stay focused um, and that was always really good for, for operating yeah. Um, next one for you. Uh, what's your best buds instructor's line? 
Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. So, obviously, in the class of 234, there's a great piece of footage where a guy's running along the beach and the instructor's behind him in the ute and he's got his microphone on and he's saying, can you run any faster than that, Smith? Because my grandmother can and she's been dead six years. <laughs> oh, man. I would have to think. It's been so long. I can't think of all this stuff. There's all the basics. You know, drop down, give me 20, all that kind yeah, of yeah, crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... No, we would mess with them. We would mess with them so hard, and it was so funny because it was all extemporaneous. You know, it yeah. all just you would because you could say anything, and we would just mess with these students. And it was most of it was funny too. Yeah. Um, there is a lot the sense of humor that goes on because it's such a miserable experience that the sense of humor that you have to have it's black. Oh, it's 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 blacker than the devil's soul, but it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, I don't know. Yep, that's I, good. I don't have anything at the top of my head. No, that's all good. What's the worst conditions you've ever been in, apart from Mongolia, obviously? Worst conditions? Uh, there was a time in Afghanistan that we were stuck on a mountaintop um, surrounded by Taliban uh, for three and a half days before they could get us out of there. No yep. food, no water. That'll do it. That was bad. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, yep. that okay, bad. I'll give you that. Um, what's, next for jo- yeah, what's next for Joel Lambert? Oh, man. Well, I'm doing a lot of stuff in China right now. So a lot of Discovery Channel stuff in Asia. So mm-hmm. I'm in China. Um, I'll be in China four times over the next two months uh, doing a lot of bushcraft, survival, uh, doing some appearances, uh, working on a television show over there. Um, I'm also back to doing a lot of scripted stuff. So uh, doing a, a movie at the end of October. Um with uh, several good friends that's, uh, that's that's really it's almost completed I'm very excited about uh, about this movie um, got a couple television shows in development awesome. all good stuff that's but, all you good know, besides all that that's all work but really I ride my motorcycle I hang out with the brothers and uh, and I chill with my dog nice. and that's my life I've got a motorcycle club I've got um, uh, all seals that I ride with and you know the brotherhood never goes away and it's, it's the most important thing in my life you can't argue with it uh, where do we follow you on social media media if we're going to follow you oh you can follow me at at, at joel5326 on twitter and on instagram and i also have a facebook page which is uh, facebook.com slash forward slash uh, joel lambert5326 um, and uh, it's been nice i've been not particularly uh, a ferocious poster in the last year or so but i answer everybody i'll talk to everybody and i love to hear from people so yeah. follow log in Check in, say hi. Yeah, that's all good, and you're you're great for doing that as well. And like I, I remember reaching out to you, I think it was the second season of Manhunt, and saying, "Hey, you got some words for the kids," and you were fantastic with that. So Phil cool us too. Oh, man. Last question for you, uh, eulogy question, which we always ask. So your day of reckoning's come, and you're inside the casket, but strangely, you can hear what people are saying about Joel Lambert. What would you want them to say about Joel Lambert? <laughs> what would I want them to say? Oh boy. You know, I'd want them to say that I died the way I lived, I had a good death, and that I set an example for my kids and for everyone who knew me to just grab life by the balls and give it give it a half twist. Beautiful. And on that, Joel Lambert, I can promise you this the next time you're in New Zealand. I've still got your police I've still got your police challenge coin. I've got a cold right. be- I've got a cold beer here for you as well. And you and I will have a roll at BJJ's. Oh, we're all about it. All right. Dude, I can't wait. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks very much for your time, Joel. It's been great. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye. Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast.